Hello and welcome to Habemus Papam, episode 240, Innocent the Twelfth. Dear brothers and sisters, Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Habemus Papam. So last week we had a relapse into nepotism, and this week, as you can tell by our Pope's name, Innocent Twelfth, which reminds you immediately of Blessed Innocent Eleventh, nepotism will be taken on again. And that might be because today's Pope didn't seem to benefit as much from nepotism as some of his predecessors, which would surprise you when I tell you a little about his family. He was born Antonio Pignatelli on March 15th, 1615 out of Naples. His mother's maiden name, however, was Carafa, and if you are paying attention, you should remember that name because there was a Carafa Pope not that long ago, Pope Paul IV. When Antonio was born, Pope Paul IV wasn't around, but Antonio's uncle, Father Vincenzo Carafa, was the head of the Jesuits. Antonio was destined for the church and entrusted to his uncle for education, and he studied at the Roman College run by the Jesuits in Rome, and he got the usual degree in canon law. His uncle's influence led him to being appointed the nuncio to Malta, but that's when things started to slow down for young Antonio. He didn't like Malta. The climate apparently didn't suit him. That doesn't really make that much sense to me, but whatever. And he wrote back to Rome multiple times asking for a transfer. His uncle died in 1649 while he was in Malta. And with no one pushing for him back in Rome, he was forgotten for a little while longer until finally he was named the nuncio to Florence, and he was named and ordained an archbishop in 1652. He spent eight years in Florence and then was sent to Warsaw as nuncio, where he served for eight years, and then he was sent to be nuncio to the Holy Roman Emperor in Austria. And he worked hard in all those positions and seems to have been a pretty diligent papal official. However, he also seems to have been snubbed a bit in Vienna, since usually the nuncio in Vienna, after he finishes that assignment, was appointed to be a cardinal, and Archbishop Pignatelli was not. Now, the most likely reason was that Pope Clement XI wanted to stand firm against the emperor, and it was a sign, although a subtle one, but a sign that the emperor could understand that not making Archbishop Pignatelli a cardinal was a way he was standing up to him. Once he was back in Rome, Archbishop Pignatelli was appointed to be the Bishop of Lecce in 1671, but he didn't spend too much time in his diocese as he was appointed as well to be the secretary for the Congregation of Bishops and then the prefect of the papal household in 1675. It isn't until the next pope, Blessed Innocent XI took over that Archbishop Pignatelli was named a cardinal, and then not until 1681. And afterwards, he was then named the Archbishop of Naples in 1686. In 1691, Pope Alexander VIII died, and the conclave was deadlocked for months. Now, as it usually happens in these situations, after about a couple months, the cardinal started to look for a compromise candidate, and Cardinal Pignatelli began to receive some interest from the rest of the cardinals. And so he was finally elected pope on July 12, 1691. He took the name Innocent Twelfth after the Pope who had made him a cardinal, and as a signal that he intended to carry on the policies of Blessed Innocent XI. So let's start then with nepotism. Ten days after his election, Pope Innocent Twelfth formally banned nepotistic practices in the Holy See. The bull Romanum Decit Pontificem stated that the Pope could only name one relative a cardinal and was forbidden from giving any other positions to relatives. He likewise reformed how people were selected for official positions in the Vatican bureaucracy, getting rid of the practice of allowing people to buy offices for relatives or for themselves, and instead basing the selection of officials on merit. The Pope also promulgated several decrees aimed at reforming the clergy, calling them to greater discipline, standardizing clerical dress, behavior, and other ways in which they interacted with secular society. And some of these reforms were actually based in part and loosely on the reforms that were going on in the court of Louis XIV in France, which 
I know we've been having some fights with him over the while, but Louis XIV did make more merit-based decisions in his own council of advisors, and it was bearing fruit. And so the Pope noticed this, and so did other officials in the area, and they started to understand, okay, no, this could be really good for us if we base things not on whose relative happens to get a spot for someone in the papal bureaucracy, but who actually deserves that spot. And so that brings us to our conflict with France over Gallicanism. The French king, Louis XIV, if you remember, he was insisting on his own prerogatives as king over and above that of the Pope, and several of his bishops had signed what were called the Gallican Articles, which established the the superiority of the king in the territory of France over the decisions of the Pope. And this had kind of been flaring up in the past and will flare up again in the future, but by this point, it's at a lull. It's starting to really quiet down. Last papacy with Alexander VIII, Avignon was given back to France. The Pope here is being a little bit more conciliatory as well, and he's agreeing to appoint bishops that Louis had nominated. And the king made the bishops who had signed the Gallican Articles against the papacy apologize directly to the Pope. So things were finally starting to improve with France. There was definitely a rapprochement that was growing. But that wasn't good on other fronts. And the most important was the relationship with the Holy Roman Emperor, Leopold I of the House of Habsburg. He wasn't too happy that the tensions between the Pope and France were cooling. And so tensions between the Pope and the Emperor started ratcheting up because usually the the Emperor and the King of France were constantly fighting against each other and worrying about each other. And this prompted Pope Innocent XII to support the King of Spain's plan to name a Frenchman, Philip of Anjou, as his successor in Spain, instead of a Habsburg. Spain had been Habsburg for centuries now, and the Holy Roman Emperor, also a Habsburg, wanted it back under Habsburg control, or at least, you know, have someone in the family running it, so it's going to be closer to the empire instead of to France. But most importantly, he just didn't want it siding with France. Who cares who rules it, so long as it's not a Frenchman or someone in the French royal family. So the tensions were ratcheting up and ratcheting up, and at some point they're going to have to burst, But we'll have to wait to talk about that for next week, because just as all this is happening, on September 27, 1700, Pope Innocent XII died. Now, fun fact here at the end, he was the last pope to date to regularly sport a beard. Everyone from here on out will be clean-shaven. And so he's the last papal beard uh, in the history of the papacy, unless Pope Francis or whoever is pope when you're listening to this uh, way, way in the future decides to grow a mustache or something like that. So Pope Innocent XII was buried in St. Peter's Basilica. He was succeeded by Pope Clement XI and his very eventful papacy and all the tensions that we've been talking about are about to boil over, but we will wait to talk about that next week. Thank you for listening to Alvamous Popham. You can find the rest of the Catholic Link podcast at catholiclink.org or on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thank you and God bless you.